This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Morning, everybody. How are we? We're good. Okay. All right. All right. Here we go. Here we go, Mark. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, if you if you missed the announcement, um, it's actually helpful for me if there is participation and communication um so feel free at any point uh that 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 helps me which in turn helps you help me help you no 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 sorry bad movie bad movie reference um we'll we'll back out mike mike is my filter and he's like nope back away get out of there quickly um don't don't pass go don't collect two hundred dollars um man what a what a fantastic question that jesus asks us um a, a question that that I hope we will, will listen to today and think on. What if you gain the whole world and yet lose your soul? Right? What if you get everything you want? Everything goes how you want, yet in the end, you kind of look back and you realize you've lost everything. You, you've, missed, you've missed life. What if we gain the whole world yet lose our soul? What good is that? Uh, M- Mike likes to make fun of me because I'm, I'm not very savvy with pop culture. Um, like, I don't, I don't recognize who sings what or, you know, someone could be standing next to me like, I don't, I don't know who that is. Um, and so he likes to make fun of me. A song will come on. And he's like, who's this? Who's this artist? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I couldn't tell you. Um, so we're going to play a little game here. We're going to see how familiar you are with pop culture. Um, let's see if you, can, if you can name this artist. Don't shout it out yet. Let me give you the, let me give you the, uh, uh, um, list of accomplishments. Um, couldn't think of the right word there. And, and then we'll see how it goes, okay? <clears throat> Seven-time Grammy winner. Three, sorry, I was like, this number can't be right, but it is. 32-time Grammy nominee. Seven-time winner, 32 nominee. Academy Award winner, Golden Globe winner, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee, and according to Rolling Stone, number 27 on the list of 100 greatest of all all, greatest artist of all time. Or are we having names? Are we, are, we, are we coming up with some ideas maybe, perhaps? I'll give you, maybe you do, maybe you don't. I'm going to give you perhaps a, a big tip scale here. Um, his most listened to song on the Spotify with nearly 300 million listens, the little number by the name of Purple Rain. Pur- are we here now? Are we there? Who we got? The, the artist is known as? Prince, yes, Prince. Um, I don't know a whole lot about Prince. Um, honestly, if you were just to play that song and they're like, who is this song? I don't know. Um, but I know now. So what I find fascinating, Prince um, was asked by a long childhood friend of his, Jim Walsh, who was a reporter in, in Minnesota, but, but more importantly, was just a good friend of Prince growing up. And, and Prince had kind of like stopped writing new music. He was just done. And Walsh asked him, like, man, don't you want to make another sign of the times? Like, another purple rain? Like, don't you want to top the charts again? And Prince replied, no, Jim, I've been to the mountaintop. There's nothing there. Whew. Prince, who, who has, has everything the world is seeking after, right? He's got it. Anything he wants, he can, he can cut the lines. He has the money he wants. He has the accolades he wants. He could write a song, and it would probably just go to the top because his name is attached to it. And he answers, no, 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 Jim, I've been to the mountaintop. There's nothing there. Like, that should be sobering for us. What if we get everything that we want, and in the end, there's nothing there? 
Like, what if we live our life and we grab hold of everything we want? We make all the choices and they just seem to fall into line. But when we get to the end, we stand looking back and we realize there's nothing there. And even scarier, there's nothing for us going forward. Jesus asks us this question. He, he gathers in, we see in, in verse 34, not just his disciples, but the, the crowd of people who just kind of were on the outskirts. Listen, he gathers them in. He, he poses this question. What good is it if you gain the whole world and yet lose your soul? Like, what, what's the purpose? What's the point? So I want to ask us that question. Are, are we living life in a way that's really life? in a way that's really living, or are we trying to grab hold of and hold water in our hands? So I'm going to pray and ask that God will speak to us um, as, we, as we look more at this passage. So would you pray with me? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, Holy God, we do not um, call on you flippantly or casually. You are the Almighty. You are Creator. You are Sustainer. You are God, Lord, Yahweh. We are the created. And so we, we come to you in humility, and we're asking you to, to speak to us. God, for some here, we may be asking, if you are real, God, speak to us. Would you show us, would you, would you tell us that you are real, that you are who you say you are, and would you give us the faith today to trust your son, Jesus? No matter where we are in our journey of life and faith, that today we would commit and choose faith. In the name of Jesus, we pray and we ask. Amen. I mean, this is a, uh, this is a point in Mark where, I mean, Stephen talked about it, Mike talked about it. It's kind of a, a turning point, right? Where who is Jesus, and now what are you going to do with that? Right? Like, who is this Jesus person? Now, now how do we live in, in response to that? Um, and this is a fiery passage, right? It's the only time I, I can recall where someone, where Jesus says, hey, get behind me, Satan, and is speaking to one of his boys, one of his disciples, right? So it's a, it's a fiery passage. So, so what's going on, right? This is immediately following Peter confessing Jesus as the Christ. It's the first time where Peter's like, no, no, Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the one that was prophesied about hundreds of years before. You are the ones that our, our ancestors and families have talked about for, for years and generations and generations, trusting that one day, Jesus, you, the Messiah, will come and you will save our people. He'd been talked about the Messiah throughout the Old Testament, that he would come and make things right again for Israel. Man, and they, they banked their lives in that truth. And J Peter is now saying, you are the one. You're the one. You're the Messiah, the Son of God. And then in verse 31, immediately Jesus begins to teach them, saying that the Son of Man, an Old Testament name for the Messiah, the Son of Man, the Messiah, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. Like, I love just kind of that, that beginning of that verse. He said this plainly. Like, there was no mincing of words here. There was no parables. There was no, like, what did he mean 
by this? It was very black and white. Like they knew exactly what Jesus was saying here. The Son of Man, me, Jesus, will suffer and die at the hands of the religious leaders. And three days later, rise from the dead. Peter's response, verse 32, is, is quite, it's quite, it's a bold move. It's a bold move. It says that Peter took Jesus aside, literally grabs Jesus, kind of and puts his arm around him, leads him away from the disciples. He doesn't want to rebuke him in front of the, in front of the other guys, right? He's really kind and compassionate in that way. Pulls him aside, he's like, Jesus. And he says he rebukes him. Peter rebukes Jesus. The word rebuke is the uh, Greek word epitimao, and it means to express strong disapproval of wrongdoing and to bring an immediate stop and correction. So Peter grabs Jesus. Jesus says, hey, the Son of Man is going to suffer and die and rise again, and Peter's like, Jesus, come here, man. Let's talk. Like, let's, let's, come here. And it says that he strongly disapproves of what Jesus is saying to the point where he's expecting Jesus will about face and correct what he says. Which Jesus does about face and bring correction. Just not to himself, to, to, to Peter. It says then, right, that Peter rebukes Jesus, but turning and seeing his disciples, right? Jesus sees that, yeah, Peter may have led him away, but still the disciples were in earshot. Like, the disciples are kind of watching, like, what's going to happen here? Like, Peter's going to handle this situation. What's going to take place? Jesus sees them. He does an about face, but instead, he rebukes Peter. He then strongly disapproves of Peter's wrong action, expecting an immediate correction, and he says, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So let's, let's grab this together. What, what is happening? What, what is all going on? Let's look first from, from Peter's perspective, okay? Let's, let's, let's see where Peter is, is coming from. Um, Peter rebukes Jesus. Why? Like, what what would give Peter the, the boldness, the gumption, right, to pull Jesus aside and be like, hey, man, you gotta, you gotta clean this up, bro. You gotta fix your stuff. Stop this nonsense. Right, like what, what would give Peter the, the audacity to do that? Well, Jesus tells us that he was setting his mind on things of man, not on things of God. Peter's wrong, Peter went wrong when he started thinking about life, thinking about Jesus through his worldview, through the worldview of a man's eyes, not through the worldview of faith. He, he listened to Jesus, and he wasn't thinking through the lens of, of faith, what God can do. He was thinking through the lens of what makes sense to man. He wasn't trusting Jesus. He was trusting himself. This is where Peter went wrong. This is where Peter went wrong. He wasn't trusting God. He was trusting in himself. Uh, there's probably many ways that Peter was setting his mind on things of, God, uh, on things of man, but, but two jump out to me and make perfect sense. One, I would bet, is what Jesus was saying just did not make any sense at all to Peter. Right? Put yourself in Peter's shoes. We, we live on this side of the New Testament, of the Gospels, of the death, resurrection of Jesus— just put yourself in Peter's shoes. You and your family have been waiting centuries for the Messiah, the promised one who would come and deliver your people, save your family, save your community, and then you just declared, Jesus, we believe you are him. You 
are the Messiah. And then the next words out of Jesus' mouth are, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be killed. Nope, that doesn't make sense. Like, that's not how the narrative, that does not add up in my mind. How about yours? Is that, is that, is that the train of thinking you would go? You're the Messiah, great. You're going to bring deliverance, I'm going to die. Nope, nope, that can't be right. Cannot possibly be the way that it goes. And I know Jesus says, in three days, rise again. But come on, if someone walked up to you today, me and you today, knowing that resurrection has occurred in history and was like, hey, I'm going to die and then rise again, which part of that equation would you believe and which part would you not believe? I'm going to believe the die part. I'm probably not even going to hear the rise again part. Right? Imagine someone close to you, mom, dad, someone you, you, you depend on, a spouse, comes up to you and is like, hey, I'm going to die soon. Don't worry, I'm going to rise again. I, I'm probably going to be freaking out about the die part not thinking so much about the rise again part. Like, so I just imagine Peter's like, this does not make any sense at all, right? I don't get it. He's looking at it through the eyes of what makes sense to him. Right? He's looking, he's, he set his mind on things of man, not on things of God, which, come on, we do the same, right? There's many things that Jesus says that the Bible teaches that it just doesn't make sense. It, it is better to give than to receive. Well, what if I don't ever receive? It's better. I don't, I don't know about that. That doesn't make sense. Love your enemies. Do good to those who persecute you. I kind of want to hurt that person. Right? Sell your belongings and give to the poor. These are words of God. Don't be anxious about anything. Right, come on. Like, you're with me, right? It's like, okay, I, I, hear, what you're, I hear what you're saying, but no. Like, I, that does not make any sense at all to my finite mind. And we think, we set our minds on things of man when that stops us from walking forward in faith when it doesn't make sense to us and therefore we conclude it can't be true. And that's what Peter's doing. This does not make any sense at all, Jesus. I need to correct this because this couldn't possibly be true. It's a lack of trust in Jesus. It's relying on what makes sense to us. It's setting our mind on things of man, not on things of God. The other thing I think was probably in play here is that on a more personal level, Peter's thinking, okay, Jesus, we have hitched our wagons to you. If you are going to be killed, what's going to happen to us? Like, they've left homes, they've left work, they've left families, they have surrendered everything to follow Jesus, and now he's saying that he is going to be killed? Again, put yourself in their shoes. Uh, what then for us, Jesus? What then for me? If you're going to be killed... I'm probably next. This whole thing crumbles. They, they're basing their whole life on him, and he's saying that, it, that, that, that he's going to be killed. And I can just imagine them thinking, that, that, does, not go, that does not go well for me. That, that, that doesn't go well for me. Which again, let's be honest, we, we do the same. 
It's not a question of if we understand what God is telling us. We just don't like what it means for us. There's a lot in the scriptures that are pretty easy to interpret. We just don't want to give ourselves up and lay ourselves down. We, we don't like what it means for us. So we're in good company with Peter. We're, we're not alone. Um, but let's also be aware, this is setting our mind on things of man, not on things of God. And it's why Jesus rebukes Peter. Turns him around and rebukes him. So let's look more then at Jesus. That's the perspective of, of Peter. I at least appreciate his boldness, right? He's, he's committed He's all in. He's bold enough of, of the disciples. He's going to go rebuke Jesus. Um, but now let's look at Jesus. Jesus then turns r- literally about face, the picture of repentance. Hey, we're going this way, Peter. No, no. We're going this way again. Literally turns him around and rebukes Peter, expects a, a stop and correction in the way that Peter is thinking. He says, get behind me, Satan. Only time that I know of that Jesus calls one of his followers Satan. So who is Jesus speaking to here? Is he speaking to Satan or is he speaking to, to Peter? Is Peter indwelt with Satan? Like wh- what's, what's happening? We don't see that Jesus cast out a demon. We don't see anywhere that, that a follower of, of Jesus can be filled with demonic presence. And so I don't, I don't think Jesus is speaking to Peter. I think what Jesus knows is what Ephesians 6 tells us, which is that our, our wrestle with humanity, our wrestle is not with flesh and blood, but it's with the rulers and authorities and cosmic powers of darkness. That, that yes, Jesus is speaking to Peter, but beneath Peter is is a deceitful lie of the father of lies, the power of darkness that is ultimately the, the root cause of Peter's setting his mind on things of man. In John 8, Jesus says that, that the devil is the father of lies, that his native tongue is, 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 is one of deceit. So he's, he says in John 8, you're, you're of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so Jesus knows that while he's speaking to Peter, the lie that Peter is believing comes from the father of lies. It's as if Jesus can see Genesis 3 playing out again, where in Genesis 3 you've got Adam and Eve, and you've got this deceiver that that slithers in and starts whispering these lies that they start to believe, and Jesus can see Peter being deceived by the father of lies and believing a, a lie of Satan. And so, yes, he's, he's speaking to Peter, but he knows that beneath Peter, at the root of it, is the deceit of the deceiver. And so he speaks truth back to him. He brings truth back into the picture. How do we know it's a lie? Because it doesn't line up with Scripture. The, the prophets foretold of the suffering Messiah, that Jesus would, would suffer. And so when Jesus speaks that, he's speaking truth. When Peter rebukes him, we know Peter's believing a lie because it does not line up with truth. So if you're ever wondering, okay, is this of God or is this of me? Your first litmus test, can you support the thought that you're having with truth from Scripture? It's our first litmus test to know, is this 
of God or is this of me or is this of Satan? If it does not line up with this, it is of the father of lies. And we can rebuke Satan who is trying to deceive us in that moment. That's, what, that's what's happening here. Peter's believing the lie of Satan. And why would Jesus rebuke Peter? Or why, why would you, is it like some petty, like, oh, you embarrass me, I'm going to embarrass you now? You rebuked me in front of them, I'm going to rebuke you? Like, I mean, come on, that's how we act a lot. Why would Jesus rebuke Peter? Ultimately, because he, he loves him. Hebrews 12 says that our Heavenly Father disciplines those he loves. That if our Father doesn't discipline us, doesn't rebuke us when we're going off course, it's really unlove. If I see someone I love walking into a train wreck, it is unloving for me to step back and do nothing. That's, that is simply wicked and evil. And so the fact that Jesus is stepping in to correct the wrong course is an act of incredible love. Jesus knows that if Peter is set on things of man, then he's not walking towards God and fullness of life is in God's presence, not away from it. So if Peter's walking this way and life is that way, is loving of Jesus to stop and correct that direction and to rebuke him for what he's doing. And so that's what Jesus does is he, he corrects it. The fact is Peter is trusting in himself, not in God. Jesus said something that didn't make sense to him and that quite frankly w would probably not be the easiest path for him. And so Peter in his human understanding seeks to correct that. And he's not trusting God. He's trusting in himself. And anytime we trust in ourselves, it is the way of Satan. It is the deceit of Satan that will steal, kill, and destroy every single time. And so Jesus in love rebukes to correct. But then he also brings in the crowd. Because this point is not just for P Peter. It's not just for the 12 disciples. What Jesus is saying here is for every single listener that's listening on the outside to what's happening here. That's you and me. This is for you and for me. We are the crowd that Jesus brings in. And Jesus says to the crowd, if anyone would come after me, if anybody wants to follow me like Peter is, if anybody wants to follow me to be my disciple like, like these other ones here, if anyone wants to come after me, that's you and me. Listen to this. This is your invitation. This is my invitation. Please don't let distraction or anything else pull your thoughts from what God is saying to us here today. This is your invitation from Jesus. If anyone would come after me, three commands. Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The invitation is given to anyone there. If anyone would come after me and be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross. Luke says take up your cross daily and follow me. Now, if you're, if you're familiar with the scriptures, you may be looking at this and going, that sounds like a works-based salvation. That sounds like I am with Jesus if I perform well enough, if I am good enough, if I, if I manage to pull off these commands. But what, what faith tells us, what the Bible teaches us in Ephesians 2 is that we are saved by grace through faith alone. 
that before we ever step in obedience to these commands, our hearts and our souls have already trusted Jesus in faith, and this is the evidence of that faith. I can't see your faith. There's not like a sign above us, right? It's not like we have this, you know, now halo around us or this aura around us like, oh, well, this is a Christian. They have real faith. Like we see this light over them. That's how we know. No, we know someone has real faith when they obey these commands. So these commands are essential because they are evidence of a real faith. If we don't obey these commands, we don't have a real faith. And so Jesus' invitation is, hey, trust me and in trusting me deny yourself take up your cross and follow me the first command is to deny yourself it it means literally to sever to sever self to to cut off self as as what is out in front we are putting jesus in front we are surrendering and submitting our whole lives to him jesus is saying if you want to walk out in front of me you're not my disciple You cannot both follow me and lead out in front. Those two things are literally impossible. And so Jesus is saying, if you want to come after me, if you want to be my disciple, then you must deny yourself. You must die to yourself. You must submit and surrender everything to me. Your ways are are gone. My ways lead. What makes sense to you, Peter, is, is now being laid down in in trust of what I say to you. Must deny yourself. Will we be perfect in that? Gosh, no. I can't tell you the number of times within each day that I pick up myself first and I put my myself first. But ultimately, faith will willingly die to self. It will say when confronted with selfishness, okay, as a follower of Jesus, I have committed to die to that. I will repent and lay that down. But if there's anywhere where we are unwilling to lay that down and repent, then, then we have not denied ourselves. We're, we're putting ourselves out in front. And so in our day and age, I think some of the, the biggest things that we don't want to deny are our sexuality. Uh, this is how I feel. This is what I align with. This is how I want to live. And Jesus is saying that our sexuality was created by God to be submitted to his will. Will we surrender our sexuality to him? Time. I think it's another one where, where we are called, like our time is not our own. Our lives are not our own, but we want to say, here's how we're going to live our days. Here's what our time is going to look like. Here's what's going to go in first. Here's what's going to matter most. And Jesus is saying, you know, your, your days are not your own. Your life is not your own. Will you submit your time to me? Will you order your days and your priorities according to my priorities? Money. And we'll, we'll get to this, gosh, in a few weeks, right? But the, the rich young ruler, If you haven't heard the story, man, he wanted to follow Jesus. And Jesus said, there's one last thing holding you back from following me is that you won't lay down your money. Let go of your money and your comfort, and he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't ultimately surrender his money and his resources to the will of God. Preferences. I think that's a a big one, right? we have our preferences. We, we have the things that we like. What, what, what if following God is uncomfortable? Is there 
anything, any command of God that, that you are not following and unwilling in this moment to repent and start following? Is there anything that, that you're unwilling in this moment to repent of and start following? I'm, I'm not saying that, that you're not, it's not going to be a struggle or it's not going to be a battle, right? There, there's many sins that run deep that is a, is a battle, right? Paul says in Romans 7, I do the things I don't want to do. And he's, you almost see him like, like there, it's a battle, but he's willing to, to fight and to work. Is there anything, though, that we're unwilling to in this moment, repent and surrender, deny ourselves to the way of Jesus, you have to ask the question, if you're unwilling, are you truly following Jesus? Are you trying to gain the world your own way and unwilling to surrender it to Jesus? The second thing Jesus says is take up your cross. It's the second command, take up your cross. Now, that's obviously not literal for us. We're not taking up a cross. So what does that mean? The cross was Jesus' ultimate form of service. That he humbled himself and served us even to the point of death on a cross. He came to serve our needs. Our greatest need is our sin against God. It's the obstacle of, of disobedience between us and God that we put in the way. It's a, Ephesians 2, a dividing wall of hostility. Right, we've built this sin between us and God, and we can't tear it down. We need someone to serve us by tearing down and forgiving our sin. And so Jesus takes up his cross in order to serve us and to meet our needs and to forgive our sins. This is why Jesus must suffer and die because someone something had to pay for our sins Jesus was that sacrifice and so he takes up his cross as his form of servant and then he says if you are going to be mine you're going to deny yourself and actively take up your cross take up your posture and position of service that your identity is that of a servant and Luke says daily take up your cross and serve daily take up your cross and serve where is this most challenging for us i was thinking about this so we it's really easy for me to serve people that are thankful or maybe return my service with another act of service you know where it's tough for me to serve and it's embarrassing to say this this crew right here lord's like amen preach come on the, the, our families those closest to us because we we just expect, like we expect that they're going to love us or we expect that they're still going to be there when we're jerk faces. And so the idea of I'm going to take up my cross and serve rather than expect to be served is, is tough from those that are closest to us, from our, our spouses, from our kids, siblings, right? take up your cross and be your sister's servant. Uh, thanks, but no thanks, right? That's a, that's a tough one. Roommates, we just kind of expect that they're going to conform to our will. <laughs> but Jesus says, no, you're a servant. Every day, take up your cross and choose to serve those that are close to you. Another one is those who have hurt us. Jesus tells us in Luke to actively do good to those who persecute us 
thanks but no thanks like that would be my vote um they lost their chance maybe there's a scale like if you hurt me this far okay fine but if you hurt me down here nope and and jesus stunningly takes up his cross for those he knows are going to nail him onto it (laughs) come on I think another place it's hard is where it's an inconvenience to serve those that really have nothing to give back to us. To serve those that honestly are just going to take advantage of it. Probably won't even say thank you. Those are the areas for me that are tough to take up my cross and to put on the posture of service. My selfishness really just wants to receive and expects that at least you'll return it. But to do that with zero expectation, man, the Lord drilled me this week on that. I at least expect you to be a good person to me. And yet Jesus tells us to take up our cross daily, to take the position of servant with all people. The third command is to follow him. Once we have died to ourself and we have taken up our cross, the position of servant, we then follow in his footsteps. What he does, we do. What he says, we say. How he thinks, we think. How he feels, we feel. Our whole lives are set on following Jesus. Our whole lives are set on following Jesus. This is the invitation Jesus is giving to us, to the crowds. If you want to come after me, come on. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. And then he gives us these questions just to think about. Like, why? Why why do this, Jesus? Why would we follow you? Because whoever would save his life will lose it. If you want to be in control of your own life, if you want to go your own way, you will, in the end, lose it. The Proverbs say there's a way that seems right to a man, and in the end, it leads to death. That's what Jesus is saying. If you want to save your life, if you want to live life your way, Peter, Prince, us, if you want to go your own way, you're going to find that you get to the top of the mountain, there's nothing there. You're going to lose your life. You will waste it. Jesus is saying, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, because that is the way of life. It is an invitation to life, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. This is one of those teachings that does not make practical sense. Like the Messiah coming to die doesn't make practical sense. The invitation to find life is actually found in losing it to Jesus. It doesn't make practical sense, but, but Jesus tells us that whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? You can chase the whole world, y'all. That, that option is there for you. Right now, today, that, that option is there for you. But Jesus is telling you that if you chase the world, if you set your mind on things of man, you are not setting your mind on things of God and you are not following him and in the end you will lose your life. He gives us this just stunning warning. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful and broken world, 
of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Reject Jesus today, and in the end, he will be forced to reject you then. Not because he wants to, but because we have chosen to go our own way. We have chosen to reject him. Here's the thing, though, y'all, as we, as we wrap this up today. I think we're all smart here. I think we all understand what Jesus is saying. To, to deny myself. Like, I am not my own, Jesus. Everything you say is what I will give my life to. I'm not going to be perfect, but when I mess up, I will respond well, and I will get back on course. Jesus, you are my everything. I deny myself. I follow you. That means I take up my cross. I serve my family. I serve those around me. I serve the stranger with zero expectation, simply to serve and to give of myself, and I'm following your way, Jesus. This requires faith. It requires faith that this is the way of life. It requires trust in Jesus that this is the best way. The world around you is not going to tell you that. And ultimately, we don't know. Like we, we haven't experienced what's over there yet. It requires faith. And, and, and if self-preservation is our primary motivation, if getting to heaven is our primary motivation, my fear is that in the end, we will never taste heaven. If, if we're just wanting to save my life, then I don't actually think that we're surrendering and trusting Jesus. I think we're using Jesus to save our life, which is why Jesus says, don't trust in self-preservation. Don't trust in the outcome. Trust in me. We fix our eyes on Jesus and we follow him. And the reason we follow him is praise be to God because Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything that he hasn't first done for us himself. So Jesus says, hey, deny yourself. And you know why you can do that? Because I have denied myself. I have left heaven and been born as a baby so that I could live and grow up to be a man who will die on a cross for your sins. And so when Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, he's just asking us to do what he's already done for us. And if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for us. And then he says, take up your cross and be a servant to those around you. Yes, even to your enemies. Why? Because I have already taken up my cross to be your servant. Yes, even my enemies, so that they can have life as well. And so we're not just blindly following an idea or something that may or may not work out. We're following a Savior who's already come to earth and walked on this earth and gone in front of us. And so we fix our eyes on Jesus, and that is what we trust in. That is who we trust in, not the outcome. We trust that if he's going that way, it's going to be good, and I don't care what it looks like. That is where our faith locks into. Because if it's in anything else, when it gets hard, and it will, we're going to bail. If we're trusting in an outcome when life seems to make no sense for that outcome, we're out. But if we're trusting in the Savior, it doesn't matter what comes, it will be good. And so we put our trust in Jesus. The one who already did what he's asking us to do. Deny ourselves, Take up our cross and follow him to the way of life.
That's the invitation he's given us today. Have you trusted Jesus? Like, really, have you trusted Jesus? It's evidenced in that you are willing to deny yourself in this moment, right here, right now. If there's anything that, that is not following the way and will of God, you're willing to go, God, I'm following you. I surrender. I repent. I confess. I return. Just like Peter did in this story. Are you willing to take up your cross? Is there anyone, anywhere that you're not willing to serve? To stoop down and wash the dirty feet of the unlovable, as Jesus did, to, to make them lovely. That's the evidence of our faith in him, of trusting him. He doesn't earn our salvation. It's the evidence of it. It's the fruit of it. So I think, I think you're in one of two camps here. Because I, I don't think anybody here is perfect yet. If, if Paul wasn't, which he says in Philippians 3, I'm guessing we're not. And so we're in one of two places. Either, either we're the crowd that's on the outside being invited into a trust and following of Jesus, or, or probably like Peter and the disciples where we oftentimes set our mind on things of man rather than things of God and, and Jesus is inviting you to repent and return to the way of God. I, I think we're probably all land in one of those two categories. But following Jesus is the way of life, y'all. It's, it's surrender to him is giving up yourself, but it's, it's gaining everything. And my hope and my prayer is that right now you're, you're hearing the Spirit speak to you. You're sensing conviction. That's the Spirit of God. And that you see the way of Jesus is the way to follow. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.